And welcome back to another episode of Coaching with the Bible. I hope you're doing well. I hope you had a great, great week. This week, episode number 146, as we close in on 150, which will be, I think, quite the milestone, 150 episodes. Uh, 146 this week, season three, episode 37. The portion of the week here is the portion known as Balak. It's the story of the prophet Balaam, or Bilam, as known in the Hebrew, and his attempts to curse and ultimately then bless the people of Israel. That's the reading here, specifically in the land of Israel. And those around the world are reading two portions this week, combination of Chukat and Balak together. And such, we catch up, we find ourselves back on the same page by the end of this week and beginning of next week as we head in to the summer season, July, August. It is great to be back at home after really a terrific trip uh, to the United States to be with family for the wedding last week that I mentioned and to see some friends and a lot of family and, and to really just really, really good, really important piece. Our focus this week, solitude. Yep, solitude, that's right. So there's a lot of things to talk about, generally speaking, and as I said, over the course of you know, nearly 150 weeks of doing this together. We've covered a lot of topics, some topics more than once in a variety of ways. And here, I thought we would dive in to the idea of solitude. And the reason why solitude comes up is because of a term that's used in one of the attempted curses, prophecies, blessings, however you want to describe them, from the prophet, from Bilam, as he stands on the hilltop and he observes the people in, ver- in chapter 23 verse 9 he says the following for from its origin I see it rock like and from hills do I view it behold here's the famous line it is a nation that will dwell in solitude and not be reckoned among the nations many people have termed that phrase that they will dwell alone, that they will live alone. The term I saw in this translation, this is the Art Scroll translation commentary on the Bible, uses the word solitude for that adjective there. And so in other places where I've seen it be written as alone, here they call it solitude. And the difference is actually quite alarming. The idea that a nation shall dwell alone is to some degree sad, or that they are a lonely nation, would also be sort of very disheartening and sad as well. The idea that they dwell in solitude actually is different. And it's important then, as we discuss solitude today, to first define terms and to appreciate the difference between the different terms that exist, because people do, I think, misuse them and, you know, switch out the terms lonely versus alone often, and often perhaps don't use the term solitude. Solitude is going to be one of my one of my great words, I think, going forward. I, I very much um, can appreciate the term solitude. I definitely think about the term solitude uh, in a lot of in a lot of spaces. And while I do spend, admittedly, a lot of time alone, 
as I said, I think uh, alone has a negative connotation. I think the idea that I spend a lot of time in solitude, and you can call it forced solitude, whatever you want, um, not, I wouldn't call it isolation. I think isolation also has a negativity as well. But in the spaces of solitude, I think there's a positivity to that that I think is really, really important. Actually, I came across a great quote, which I think could become a mantra for me, uh, which is, I am not antisocial, I'm pro-solitude. I really think that's great. Um, you know, social is good. I'm not antisocial, not against being social, being around a lot of people. But I'm perhaps when I'm putting the two on the scale and I'm weighing them, I am weighing solitude above uh, the other one. So let's first define terms. It's really important to really get at the terms, appreciate what that is. And it's admittedly not the first time in the Bible that that idea of alone or loneliness uh, appears somewhere. And so it's important that we can appreciate that that is the case, right? And so, you know, we have situations where people are alone. Jacob uh, is alone uh, before the meeting with his brother, right? So the Bible describes him as alone. He, he's very much um, by himself. And so, you know, a similar word that's used here, and so we could think that it means that a people that dwells alone. So what are the differences between alone, uh, uh, lonely, and uh, solitude. So let's get those things first squared away because it's super important. So alone, the definition for alone would be a state of being uh, by oneself physically, i.e. without other, people's be- other people being present. So you have no company, no companionship. You're by yourself. It doesn't necessarily actually carry any sort of negative or positive connotation. It just is what it is. You are alone. Loneliness is an emotional state. Perhaps it's you describing how you feel while you're alone. It's an emotional state by the feeling of social isolation or lack of connection with others. And so it's perhaps arises when a person feels, experiences, or perceives that their social connection, relationships, interactions are less than perhaps that they want them to be or are less than they should be, let's say. And so in that space where you're measuring and judging, you'll you'll define terms and call it that you are lonely. So in a case where you could be in a crowd of people and still be lonely because the sort of the measure of your social interaction, connection, relationship with that crowd might be very, very low, and therefore you're still lonely even though you're not alone. The third one, solitude, is really different in the sense that it's a deliberate choice to be alone and find solace, comfort, warmth, even emotional love, or however you want to describe it, in one's own company. It's really more of a very positive state where you're seeking, you're seeking out and looking for perhaps enjoyment in being by yourself. Very often solitude is connected to some sense of being in a space of peace, of self-reflection, of introspection. It's all those things together. So they're not the same. And so interestingly enough, when you describe the nation as a nation that dwells alone, so that's a nation that, you know, has no company. It has no people to be with. It it's, 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 doesn't have partners, let's say. 
they might interact, but it's love. Describing it as a nation that dwells in solitude is a choice. The choice to be in solitude for now is not forever, but for now, because that is a state of being where one perhaps is looking at, you know, looking for a self or inner peace or looking to grow or create or differentiate to some degree or become, you know, different or looking to create new connections and linkages. So it's important to sort of get those terms uh, right at the beginning, because otherwise simply you get it, you get it wrong and, you know, we're not sure what we're talking about here. So, as I said, you can actively be uh, um, alone, um, but not lonely. And um, you can, and someone can feel lonely even when they're surrounded by people. So, the most dangerous of those, obviously, is the status, of the state of being uh, what you would call lonely. And it's obviously very dangerous. There's no question about it. Like the, this, the research and the data that's available around people who are lonely. Um, is uh, enormous and impactful both on a, on a mental level and a physical level. And the flip side of being lonely, of being uber-connected, also has the research done. Uh, I was listening to a, uh, a presentation and then reading some about the, 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 the concept of blue zones, these areas in the world where the, on average, oldest populations live in the world. And so their, their great secret, quote-unquote, is connection that's the flip of loneliness, right? So everyone can appreciate the sense of, of loneliness, what that means, the, the, the debilitating nature of a person who is living in a state of loneliness, a person who feels that they are lonely in the world, increased depression and anxiety, destroy self-esteem and self-worth. It, it physically can have uh, a, a, an impact on you, on the idea of premature and early death, of hurting sleep patterns, of, of you know, um, heart disease and other kinds of things that uh, blood pressure, all kinds of stuff that relate to being lonely. So we could do a, a conversation around loneliness. I'm not sure that I'm equipped to have a fuller, longer conversation around the sense of loneliness. I think we all in our lives go through sp spaces and moments when we're lonely. I think it's normal. I think it's typical. It's the danger of sort of staying and living in that space for an extended period of time when it becomes something that's debilitating and dangerous, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, all those things. So that's, that's one thing. Differently is there's a notion that's, that's also been studied of late that's called a loneliness, a loneliness, right? So you have a loneliness and now add the A before it and now you have a loneliness. So that's the negative feeling that arises from the perception that one is not spending enough time alone. Interestingly enough, that's also a thing. Person, and we've all probably maybe gone through this too, when they're too busy, there's too much going on, they're too active. Uh, work colleagues, friends, uh, children, obligations, whatever it is, and there is no time for the self that is also not good. And so where we have situations in our lives, and maybe over the course of the last number of years, certainly in, in periods of the pandemic when we're socially isolated, where a person very much felt lonely if they were 
by living by themselves, you can imagine a person and describe a person who imagined the course of the early stages of the pandemic were living by themselves and were not technologically adept, they very much felt cut off from the world. They couldn't be around people. They didn't know how to connect with people, even in the most superficial way. And that's like, you know, almost on the edge of, of just not being, not being here, right? And so we can appreciate the, sort of that extent of it. We can also appreciate ourselves that in our own lives at certain moments when we very much felt like we were, we were by ourselves in the world. Nobody cared about us, nobody loved us, no one was interested in us, no one talked to us. It's hard. On the sort of the flip of that is the idea that at certain points, we never have a moment to ourselves. No time to breathe, no time to think, so we're not eating healthily then either because we're on the go, we're running. We're not thinking about ourselves either because we are so intoxicated and filled with everything else going on in everyone's lives. However, that situation arises for you of being infinitely busy. So then you lack for alone time. And there's, an, there's a danger in that too. And so it's important and normal and should be normative behavior for all of us that we do seek alone time in the course of our lives. Or in this space, seeking solitude at certain points in our lives as a choice, a direct choice. Because what happens in our world and we get lost in it is that because we're so busy, because we're so attainable, because we're so reachable at all moments, at all points, every second of the day, so we're never alone. We're never by ourselves, and certainly rarely by ourselves by choice. And so what do we do with that sort of a loneliness? And how do we sort of like bring back, or work back from that, or fight back to a space where we can choose solitude, let's say, for periods of time in our lives. And so the truth is that there are ways to do this. And first things first is that when we're thinking about this for ourselves and we're trying to, let's say, embrace solitude as a part of our lives, to appreciate sort of the benefit of what that solitude could bring. What would solitude bring to my life? What would I get from having spent time daily, weekly, whatever it is, by myself? And so the first thing here is to really appreciate that there's a value in solitude. That it's not a waste of time to seek and then have time by yourself. It's a benefit to step away from the noise and to have the opportunity to introspect and self-reflect and gain some clarity around what it is that's going on in my life. Otherwise, I'm too busy, right? I'm too busy with what's going on. Solitude, as I saw a quote, again, this quote actually, I don't think had an actual author, so it's probably many people have said similar things. Solitude isn't the absence of noise so much as it's the absence of distraction. 
So for a leader or for a person appreciating that there's a benefit in it and that there is a value in it and that you come back stronger, smarter in the same way that we might think of vacation or, you know, physical break from a certain environment, that you come back refreshed and re-energized and uh, with new eyes, let's say almost. The same thing that you can have uh, with a a space of solitude or a, a time of solitude in the course of your day. So that's the first thing is valuing it. The second thing is really then what, like, okay, great. I can get the value of it. Like, how do I do that? And so there's a lot of ways to sort of think about it. I think the easiest way to sort of think about it is that you probably have to think about stealing it or scheduling it. Stealing it is A, paying attention to moments that might exist where you can find solitude and then stealing that moment. Adding a couple of minutes you know, let's say uh, in your car, you come home from a long day at work and you just commuted home and you're sitting in the driveway. Talked about this moment before where you're truly trying to gather yourself so you can be present for the family and, and your spouse inside. That's one one piece of thinking about it. But two, you can pull two minutes there of solitude. You stole that time. Here's another example. You're you're at the office. You stepped out for uh, a call for a few minutes. And instead of immediately rushing back, you take two minutes outside, a cup of coffee, close your eyes, whatever it is, and just breathe. That's a stolen moment of solitude. The other one is the schedule. Like we talked here about time boxing the idea of putting things into your schedule on a regular basis that uh, establish, you know, ritual or habit in your day. So scheduling the solitude time, that may be first thing in the morning, might be end of the day, where nothing else exists or nothing else can possibly be part of it. That scheduled solid time, it's ritual, it's habit. Maybe you need to also define a specific space and that space becomes effectively your holy of holies of Solitude, talking about your fortress of solitude. I'm just going to say it out loud there because that fits right there. But you have to sort of seek it and then schedule it and then ritualize it so it becomes part of your day-to-day. So there could be your exercise routine. So you run alone or you, you you work out, you lift by yourself. Some people do that socially. And some people use that as that time where they're getting in touch, you know, with what's going on with themselves physically but also mentally by not speaking in those spaces, by going it alone, for lack of a better term, in that moment, and choosing alone in those moments. Those are some of the ways in which we can attack the idea of of solitude. Now, it could be also that it's important that you're not just sitting there alone trying to meditate and contemplate the existence of the of uh, of humanity. That might not be how you use this, the space of solitude to your best benefit. And it may not work for you then because then it, maybe it's boring or it's sort of ineffective. You don't feel the value. It's not a meditation space necessarily. For some people it is. So then the last thing here is then you need to engage in some sort of a purposeful activity while in that space or in that time. So you've sanctified, ritualized the time, which is amazing, and now you have it, like, what are you going to do with it? And if it's not well used, you're not going to stick it out. You're just going to find excuses 
to do other things. And so in this space of solitude, purposeful activity. So again, it could be reading. It could be studying something. It could be exercise. It could be meditation. It could be that you take lunch by yourself on a Tuesday and that's your solitude time. It's a time when you gather yourself for yourself and that's how you are able to then come back and re-engage. So what's essentially happening in the space of what some would view as loneliness or alone time and, and can note that negatively, you're choosing solitude for the idea that this is actually going to make me better. This is actually what's going to bring joy into my life. This is what's actually going to create just greater sense of purpose and value and success in my life. Too many of us do not seek enough solitude in their day-to-day, week-to-week, do not necessarily appreciate the benefit of it and how we come out in so much better on the other side of it. And to end, let's end with a quote. Sometimes the most profound of awakenings come wrapped in the quietest of moments. Again, sometimes the most profound of awakenings come wrapped in the quietest of moments. Seek out the moments of solitude, make solitude a choice in your life, and then appreciate the benefits that come out on the other side of that solitude, not just the first time, because I think it requires a little bit of practice, over the course of time, how much better you are because of the moments that you practiced solitude. That is Coaching with the Bible for this week. I do look forward to seeing you next week. Have a good one.